Church, please join me as we pray together. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, how great you are and how small are we. And yet, Lord, in your kindness, you've looked down upon us and you've sent your son Jesus to rescue, to redeem, to purchase, to make for yourself a people that you call your own. Father, thank you for your spirit who indwells us and who spurs us on toward love and good deeds. Lord, as we've worshiped you today, help us to continue to worship you in spirit and truth as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. My name is Jonas. I'm one of the pastors here, and I love that I get the opportunity today to share from the scriptures with you. As I've reflected this week on the return of Jesus, which will be the subject of our study today, I'm reminded of a man who taught courses on this subject at Dallas Theological Seminary. And when you hear his name, you'll understand why he got to teach these courses. His name was J. Dwight Pentecost. He became a man that I and so many others looked up to for years in our studies there at DTS. He was a professor for more than 50 years, a faithful teacher, pastor, friend, author of many books, husband, father, grandfather, His consistent living resulted in a tremendous ministry throughout his 99 years of life. In 1957, he wrote a book called Things to Come. Still in print today, nearly 65 years later, the work of Dr. Pentecost lives on through his writing and through his ministry to the generations. His most famous course there at the seminary was on the life of Christ, and it impacted generations of Bible teachers and their students, and some of you may have been impacted without even being aware of Dr. Pentecost's teaching. In 2001, he was invited by Dallas Seminary to live in a brand new housing made for married students, and this housing was called Swiss Tower because it was on Swiss Avenue. Dr. B had lost his wife years earlier, and he was a beloved family member of the seminary to so many. It just made sense to invite him to live in this new housing. In so many ways, he became a father and a grandfather, a spiritual mentor to all of us who were living in that 10-story building. Affectionately known as Dr. P, all who lived in Swiss Tower loved him, and especially the kids. It was not unusual to be about the grounds of the seminary and to hear a young child run up to this grandfather figure and announce, Dr. P, and then give him a big hug. Stories were told of little kids that would mimic him and love him, and and he was actually named P by the kids, but the parents made them call him Dr. P out of respect. It caught on, and that's how we all knew him. I was reminded this week of the time after our child was born when Dr. P made it a point to climb six flights of stairs to stop by and congratulate us in person. Nearly out of breath, he announced, congratulations and good job on obeying that first command. Sleep deprived, mind racing, struggling to remember the commands of God in order and wanting to formulate an adequate response, I'm sure that my face revealed everything and that I had no clue what the first command was. With tenderness and all smiles, he piped out, be fruitful and multiply? His grin and his warm greeting will be something I remember for as long as I live. Dr. P was one of those guys we all 
want to be like. Following the Thanksgiving holiday and thinking of the return of Jesus, I can't help but be thankful and grateful for moments like those with Dr. P and others where a faithful man or woman of God have taken the time to speak the life and words of Jesus into my life. I'm a grateful man. I'm grateful for this season of ministry we find ourselves in. To see our church gather like we did two weeks ago for baptism and to watch those stories unfold, many of them quite personal to me, seeing people make a public declaration that they are choosing to follow Jesus. I think I'll remember that for as long as I live. I pray for you that Thanksgiving was a holiday where you were able to rest and renew. And I especially want to thank those of you who had to work over the holiday season so that the rest of the community could holiday. We're a community with lots to be grateful for. And I love that about our church. In this season, we're working our way through a series called We Believe. And we're affirming what we believe in the Evangelical Free Church of America and what we believe as Bethel Church here in Fargo, North Dakota. Today, we'll be considering what we believe about Jesus' return. And if you don't have a copy of the Bible, I would love for you to receive one today. We have ushers who are coming down the aisle. Please take that. We're going to take our time, and we're going to stop at four different passages of Scripture. And if you're new to the Scriptures, I'll give you the page numbers so you can follow along. Um, Others, if you'd like to follow along in the Bible app, I'm sure that's helpful for many of you. My hope is at the end of this time together that you will be more and more motivated to live in light of Christ's soon return. To date, we've looked at eight of our 10 statements of belief. We began with God and who he is. Then we talked about the Bible, God's word to us. We spoke to the human condition we find ourselves in, as sinners in need of a savior. Next, we looked at Jesus, who he is and the work that he has done for us. Then we talked about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and how he indwells believers and is forming us to be more and more like God's son, who is Jesus. Two weeks ago, we looked at the church and the nature of the church, that we shouldn't just believe or belong, but we should belong and believe. Last week, Pastor Andy gave us a great message using his acronym REAL on how we can live as Christians in this world. And today, we're going to look at what we say we believe about Christ's return. Now, in your bulletin, there's a handout there. It's a gray sheet of paper with four little movements we're going to go through as we talk through this. I'd love for you to follow along. Let's read together. I will read, and you can hear, what we say we believe about Jesus' return. At Bethel Church, we believe in the personal, bodily, and premillennial return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy. And as our blessed hope motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. May these not just be words on a screen or words on a paper, but may they stir us towards love and good deeds today. Look with me on page 935 of that Bible you picked up or in Acts chapter 1 in your copy of the text. The first thing I want us to see is that Jesus will return personally and bodily. Luke wrote two volumes of the history of the life and works of Jesus. We see them as the Gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts. This is volume two. Listen carefully as 
we read what Luke wrote. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them, him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Jesus will, turn, will return personally and bodily. As you follow along in the text there, I want you to notice that, that Jesus was busy about his work of teaching his disciples right up until the time he ascended into heaven. And Jesus reminded them that they will not know the time or dates the Father has set. In chapter one, his disciples were excited. They thought, yes, now will be the kingdom of God on earth. And Jesus inserts a already but not yet reality. As they saw Jesus ascend to the clouds, he was taken up before their eyes. And this eyewitness testimony reminds me of the, the testimony of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that, that many people saw Jesus alive bodily and personally. They touched him. They knew it was him. It was really him. The one who had died had been raised back to life. You might note in your Bible to look again at 1 Corinthians 15. This was an exciting time. And then maybe you'll smile like I did when I read verse 11 and I think, wow, uh, what surprise. Jesus ascends to heaven and then all of a sudden we've got angels standing around us saying, hey guys, what are y'all looking for? Why are you guys looking up there? He said he'll come back. Just the way he left, so too he will return. Now, as a student of the Bible, you might remember Jesus' words from John 14, where he said this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead bodily and personally, and he visited his disciples for 40 days, so too Jesus will return. And his return will be bodily and personally. It will really be him. Just as the angel said, so we believe. This same Jesus, Acts 1.11, who has been taken from you into heaven, he will come back in the same way you have seen him go. We can have confidence that Jesus Christ will return because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. 
He does what he says he will do. Now, a distinctive theological position of the evangelical free church and the Bethel church has been the view that when Jesus returns, he's going to establish his kingdom on earth. And we call this view premillennial in the sense that Jesus will establish his rule on earth for a thousand years before the final judgment and the new heavens and the new earth. You might remember that book we encouraged you to follow along with called Evangelical Convictions. In there is this summary statement. Rather than being a single great event which ushers in the new heaven and the new earth, our statement affirms that Christ's return ushers in an intermediate kingdom between the present age and the internal state, a kingdom in which Christ's identity as Lord and King will be publicly vindicated on earth. In summary, you and I can be certain that Jesus Christ is coming back. And this then leads to a natural question, but when? When will Jesus come back? And this is a really important question, and if you're following along in the study guide, the time of Jesus' return is known only to God. And the key word I want to invite you to here is humbly. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men, they'll be in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two women. They'll be grinding with a handmill, and one will be taken and the other will be left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. The time of Jesus' return is known only to God the Father. You and I cannot know the day or time of his return, and this should lead us to humility. Yes, we are certain that Jesus is coming back. And church history is littered with examples of people claiming to know the hour and the day of his return, but Jesus himself said that this information is known only to the Father. Jesus warned against false prophets who would come and deceive many, in Matthew 24, he says he will come like a thief in the night. He illustrates this so beautifully. Just as in the days of Noah, people were going about their lives and then the flood came suddenly and destruction fell upon all of those who did not honor the Lord with their lives. So too, when Jesus comes, there will be one man in a field and one will be taken and one will be left. There will be a woman about her business at the mill and one will be taken and one will be left. Note the repetition in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Verse 42, you do not know. Verse 44, he will come when you do not expect him. Verse 50, he will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour when he is not aware of. As we speak about the timing of Jesus' return, we should do so with humility. 
The scriptures are clear. We cannot know the day or the hour. Only the Father knows that. I remember years ago when we learned that we were expecting our first child. We had prayed for years that God would provide us with a baby and the joy we felt and the sense of expectation was palpable. How wonderful it would be to realize this dream that we've had for so long. We had prayed and we really wanted this to come together and everything to work. And throughout the pregnancy, we did everything we could to get ready. God was so kind. He gave us friends that when they were pregnant, they had their baby five weeks early, and we learned from that. We were quickly in line to buy a car seat and make sure everything we had was ready to go. I still remember that week when our due date came and left. The seven days between the expected due date and the day our baby was born were some of the longest days of my life. But the beauty and the joy and the overwhelming emotion we felt when we heard that baby's first cries. In that moment, I remembered what another professor, a man who had become a mentor and a friend of me said. He said, Jonas, in that moment, I want you to close your eyes gently and slowly and I want you to open them slowly and I want you to know that from that point forward, your life will never be the same and smile that God has been so gracious to you. Jesus uses this imagery of pregnancy and childbirth pains to describe the reality of our world. And he says even now the pains of childbirth are upon creation. Creation groans at the weight of sin and soon Jesus will return. We know that for sure. (laughs) But the day and the hour, We must approach that with humility. Friends, the next time somebody tells you for sure it's gonna happen on this day or that, run, don't walk. Take your friends with you. Don't listen to these words. Go back to Matthew 24 and remember what Jesus said. He said, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah and they'll deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all of these are the beginnings of the birth pains. Friends, when it comes to the timing of Christ's return, we must assume a posture of humility. We know he's coming back because he said he would. And one thing we else that we can say for sure is, Jesus is coming soon. Look at page 1052, if you grabbed one of those Bibles, or 2 Peter chapter 3. I want us to camp out here for just a little bit. In 2 Peter chapter 3, I would invite you to make your key word here, this idea of patiently. Starting in verse 8, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it, that'll be laid bare. Jesus is coming soon, and God is patient towards those he has created in his image. You 
and me. Notice in verse 8 how the Lord is not like us. To the Lord a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years are like a day. Notice verse 9 how he is patient in keeping his promise. Though it may feel slow, it is not slow in the grand scheme. Notice in verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The Lord's return will surprise us. As we read 2 Peter 3, we start to see in high definition this reality that that God really is patient with those created in his image. The fact that you and I are here today and we get to hear this verse is evidence of the patience and goodness of God. He longs for us to know him and to join him in his kingdom endeavor. If yesterday God had rolled up the curtain of time, you and I would not be here in this moment with this opportunity to turn to him. And yet here we are. God invites all who hear these words to turn from our sinful ways and to walk in relationship with him by grace through faith. I love how one commentator quipped, God's apparent slowness is our salvation. Praise God for his patience towards sinners. Repenting is not an easy thing to do, and it doesn't come naturally to any of us, but repentance is what is required to enter into a true relationship with God. We have to turn from the ways of this world and turn toward God and receive what he offers to us. I'm so grateful for what Pastor Craig shared on Wednesday at our Thanksgiving Eve service about how God is gentle and lowly. He invited us to lament the difficulties of our lives, not to pretend like they don't exist. He invited us to turn to God with our complaints, to ask him for his help, and to renew our trust in him. Those thoughts are a reflection of some words that Jesus said in Matthew 11, and I keep this old hand-carved yoke in my office to remember it. The text tells us, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know what you've heard about God, but what God says about himself is that he is gentle and he is humble in heart. He is patient towards you. He desires that that you would not perish, but that you would know him through his son by the power of his spirit. And his character is on full display in the person and work of Jesus. These words stood out to me as I was reading them. It says, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. They kind of sounded familiar, and in my reading, I realized, well, they sound familiar because Moses said them first in Psalm chapter 90. I would encourage you to note that, and then go and simmer in those verses this week, and allow the Lord to minister to your heart through that, that the Lord, to him, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. May that minister to you. The words also stood out to me because of a silly story I heard long ago, and I just feel compelled that I must share it with you. The story's told of a young boy who is praying, and he's having this conversation with God, and he says, God, I'm struggling to understand 
how long a million years are. What are a million years like to you? And God answers, my son, it's like a second. He says, well, then how much is like a million dollars, God? And God said, well, like a penny. And the boy thought only for a moment. And then he said, God, could I have one of your pennies? And the Lord responded, sure, my son, in just a second. (laughs) Friends, we desperately need God's perspective on the times we're in. We live within the tensions of time and space, of the already and the not yet of God's kingdom. He is eternal and he is operating for his glory. But too often, if you're like me, we operate with a childlike understanding to our time. Now, if you have children or you've ever traveled with children, you know there is a dreaded question that you pray they will not ask, but you've all heard it. Are we there yet? The mature traveler knows that the time of arrival will certainly come. And this perspective of maturity helps us in our impatience. We desperately need a mature understanding of this time we live in. Satan would love for you to think that Jesus is not coming back. But we know with certainty that he is, just as he was raised from the dead, so too he will return. We know that all of time is moving towards a goal where he receives the greatest glory. Our time in the here and now, this is not wasted. And while we may feel rushed and perplexed and impatient, our God is operating for our good and for his glory. I love how Paul reminded the early church in the Philippians that our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there who is the Lord Jesus Christ. We know with certainty that Jesus is coming back. We humbly admit that we don't know with precision the day or the time, and we patiently affirm that he is coming soon. And this leads us to a motivation to therefore live differently. From our statement of faith, these words, the coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy. And as our blessed hope motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. On our last stop in the text this morning, I would invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's on page 1020 if you have one of those Bibles that we're handing out. Jesus' return demands constant expectancy. Like those who wait for their baby to be born, knowing that it's coming, so are we who await the soon return of Jesus. Reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. There's that word again. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, 
But let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, they sleep at night. And those who get drunk, they get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Brothers and sisters, we will be surprised when Jesus returns, but we don't have to be unprepared. In July of 1999, I was shopping in Munich, Germany for those 1990s famed sandals. Maybe you've seen them. Birkenstocks. I just had to have them. And I had heard they were made in Germany. And our trip to Munich was part of an extended, unplanned for layover on our trip home. We had just spent six weeks teaching English with Pioneers Ministries in Sarajevo, Bosnia. And what better way to spend your layover than to walk along the streets and go shopping for sandals? There are a number of things I learned that day. First and foremost, when you're talking to the Germans about Birkenstocks, it really helps if you call them by what they're called, which is Birkenstocks. There were so many confused shop owners that day. They're a lot easier to find when you pronounce it correctly. While walking down one of the main streets, I was asked by a small group of very innocent-looking women if I had change for a dollar. That should have been my first clue. As I remember it, the grandmother figure was the first to smile, and she just seemed so polite. And when I reached into my pocket, grandma, daughter, and granddaughter, they each clasped over my handful of coins and paper money, and they robbed me in broad daylight. I was not prepared for that. I was stunned, and I remember shouting at those ladies because I didn't know what else to do. They like ran off, and I'm like, give me my money back. That wasn't going to happen. But I didn't know what to do. I was angry and frustrated. I was surprised. And that then led to a mixture of gratitude as I realized as I'm standing with my friends, wow, they they didn't hurt us. I, I didn't know what else to do. I was dazed and I was trying to make sense of this new reality I had just experienced. Borrowing from the words of Jesus, his disciples often speak of the coming of the Lord as a thief in the night. If only I'd been ready, maybe, maybe I wouldn't have been robbed. Friends, we will be surprised by the return of Jesus, but we do not have to be unprepared. Each of the New Testament authors, in their own way, reminds the reader that what Jesus promised will come true. He is coming back. Listen to Paul. We who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Do you hear the joy? The day is coming. James expresses this by saying, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And Peter says clearly, the end of all things is near. Jesus Christ is coming again. Until then, we must continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming, says the Apostle John. We wait for this blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is coming soon. Remain faithful. What the careful reader of the New Testament will discover is that in every instance of the mention of the return of Jesus is a command to live accordingly. Following the teaching of Jesus' soon return, there's always this invitation to righteousness, which is right living before a holy God. He is our motivation. Look again at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 as we just quickly review a few of these statements. Verse 6, so then let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be awakened and sober. We do not belong to the night, so let us put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. And remember that this is all motivated, that we might live together with him. Jesus is coming. Remain faithful. The soon return of Jesus is certain. We approach the timing of his return with humility. And we embrace the patience of God by recognizing that he is not like us. He is patient towards us. And we live with expectation of his soon return. Dr. Pentecost wasn't just my professor or a person that lived a few floors down. He also became a colleague and a friend. I had the occasion to fix his computer from time to time. I love Dr. P. He was so much more than just a seminary professor, a mentor, a pastor, a husband, a teacher, a father, a grandfather. But what he was more than anything else was a steady follower of Jesus. He retells the story of how in 2001, soon after he had moved into the seminary-provided apartment, then-President Mark Bailey told him that he was coming to visit him in his apartment. Imagine with me that you're sitting in the seminary chapel in 2003. Dr. P is retelling this story in the most grandfatherly way. And he tells how this promise of a visit from his friend, the president, revolutionized his life. That was his words. I quote, the one who owned the property was coming to check out how I was caring for it. First thing, when I wake up in the morning, I made the bed so it looks neat. I fix a breakfast and when breakfast is over, I dare not leave dirty dishes in the sink because the president is coming. Though tempted to leave the dishes to air dry, I feel I must dry them and put them away because the president is coming. The simple promise of the president's visit revolutionized his life. Now imagine as he's sharing this story and Dr. Bailey and his seminary colleagues are here, the students are here to listen to this chapel and Dr. P's words echo in my ears as I can still hear him say that. He smiles with a Dr. P smile, and he says, I've been here for two years, and so far it still hasn't happened. And in that moment, he outed his good friend, Dr. Bailey, for not keeping up on his promise. But the simple promise of a visit changed how he lived. His apartment was always ready, just in case. How much more the promise of Jesus soon return could revolutionize your life and mine. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus is coming soon. Let us be faithful. Join me in prayer.
Father, your word is a sure foundation that points us to you and towards the confidence we have in your son. Just as Jesus said he would return, so, Lord, we believe. Like John in the book of Revelation, we pray at times, come, Lord Jesus, come. We hope for that day. And yet, in the same breath, Father, I thank you for your patience towards us and towards those created in your image. I think today of people who have never heard the good news of Jesus. There are billions of them. Oh God, motivate us to live in light of this truth that Jesus is coming soon. Amen.